the networking aspect of doing these competitions uh, is the reason you do it. That's like, it. We're not at MedTech Actuator Origin for that little bit of money that we could potentially win at the end because we probably won't. We're, we're wow. there for the networking. That's it, yeah. The experience, uh, right? Experience. The education and the network. Experience, education, network, the potential uh, nurturing into the Accelerator mm. program too next year. That's it. But um, yeah, the, the network is everything. Welcome back to this episode of the Student Founder Podcast, a platform created for student entrepreneurs to come into the spotlight that they deserve in the Australian market. We're trying to build a community around student entrepreneurship where we bring on experts uh, in business as well as investors and the entrepreneurs themselves to talk about their experiences in the startup world. I'm your host, Oliver Kukanik, PhD student by day, student founder by night. And this episode is brought to you by Rofi Labs, software development company started out of University of Melbourne. We help companies build their MVPs. We help companies develop their apps and of course, help companies fulfill their resources using our software development team. If this is something you want to learn more about, reach out to us on LinkedIn and we'll get in touch with you. All right, so we'll get straight into the podcast. Today, we have the co-founder of a company, which is very rudimentary, uh, called Accident, an early stage startup with an aim of revolutionizing dental care and diagnostics. As a group, the founders of Accident have embarked on a journey to create innovative and accurate solutions that will replace traditional tools routinely used by sorry, in the dental industry. Today, our guest who has competed in various pitch competitions will be showcasing one of their latest prototypes on his iPad and talk to us about the process of kickstarting an idea into a business. Having won various industry awards, including the Telstra and Customer and Community Impact Award, introducing to you, Liam Murray. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. It's no nice worries. to be here. Some people, when we start up the podcast, they get like freaked out with the introduction. Sometimes it's too, I don't know, uh, quintessential as such and they freak out. No, I feel like I've heard too many podcasts at this point. It's just natural. It sounds awesome. That's it. That's it. All right. So we'll get straight into it. I think the, the probably the first thing that we want to do is kind of break down, you know, a little bit about you, Liam. Like tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe your academic background just for the audience to get a bit of an understanding of who you are. Yeah, for sure. Um, oof, could go back pretty far, but yeah. um, I think the main things that are really relevant to Accident is I'm in my final year, Master's of Biomedical Engineering. Mm. I finished my exams in a couple of days while I was talking about that. Um, and that's come from, uh, so I did a Bachelor of Science at Melbourne as well. Uh, next year, I'm hoping to follow through into a PhD mm. uh, looking at microbiome mechanics. Uh, so have you completed on honours? No. Okay. No, no, no. okay. So just Bachelor... Uh, masters. masters and then straight into Australian PhD. Yeah. So what, um, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. I'm curious because I'm doing a PhD, obviously. Mm. Um, what uh, kind of like project are you looking at, at starting up? Yeah, so I'm going to be working in uh, the mechanobiology lab mm -hmm. uh, in the Department of Biomedical Engineering. Um, and we are specifically um, looking at the aging heart. And so how... Uh, how the heart changes in the pathological state and mm. how cells change. And for me, in particular, the reason I'm interested in going into this stream and the reason I proposed the PhD that I did yeah. um, is the modeling of cells 
um, uh, modeling how that soft tissue changes the yeah. muscle cells in the heart and then broader skeletal muscle how they change in a pathological state versus in their healthy state mm. um, I think the the application there is incredible in terms of hey we're in Victoria what's our biggest killer mm. um, and also just in terms of our broader health movement um, it wasn't always my goal I didn't yeah, yeah. want to do a PhD if you'd asked me this six months ago I would yeah. have said no so um, what, what changed? What opportunity arose? I think two things. One, um, how successful Accudent has been, funnily mm-hmm. enough. Yeah, which we'll get into. Um, going into a PhD gives me the flexibility to work on that and decide without uh, it being a source of income. Yeah. Um, the other thing is uh, I got approached by VJ, who will be my supervisor, uh, and he was talking about uh, bringing together a group of researchers, a group of PhD students, and collaborating on a project to develop uh, AI that could analyze soft tissue, mm. just in general, which yeah. is blue sky. But yeah, yeah, it but, would be but it's an idea, right? And you need you need fundamental minds in the room in order to facilitate something like that. Um, exactly. So that's uh, really exciting, especially when, again, Accudent will get into it, is looking into the uh, state of soft tissue in the mouth. Yeah. Um, it's just two, two things colliding almost too perfectly for me to yeah, not yeah. go for it. No, it's actually um, really good insight because, I mean, one of the reasons I actually started my PhD was a very similar reason in terms of always being interested in business. Mm. Um, originally, I wanted to be a clinician, tried to get into medical school. It's very difficult to get into, arduous task, uh, but actually blessed that I wasn't able to get directly in because of the opportunities that arose in the process of mm. actually trying to get there. Mm. Um, you know, once you start a PhD, it is very much you're somewhat in control of your time. Mm. And that can be very beneficial when starting and running a business, mm. right? So that's definitely a smart move on your behalf. Mm. So I guess, tell us a little bit about, I guess, your business and or Accudent and what, what products you're actually trying to develop. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The exciting stuff. The exciting um, stuff. Accudent, just like as fundamental as it comes, accurate dentistry. Yeah. The, the goal here is just to improve dental tools and improve the uh, diagnostic capabilities of things that are done in the dental space. Yeah. Um, I think you can, you can think of Accudent's goals in probably two streams. The first of those is we want to improve the accessibility of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second is improving what is our current practice. Yeah. And our current product, what we're our need is that we're focusing on and our problem that we're focusing on initially at least uh, is the screening of periodontal disease mm. um, this is a disease that affects one in three adults yep. uh, it's the sixth most common condition globally um, and it has some pretty terrible irreversible effects if it's not yep. screened for so uh, we came into the space and we've got a dentist on our team and yep. she introduced us to this problem and we're like okay it's such a problem why is no one Looking into it, it must be screened for pretty readily or they Mm. must have pretty decent tools. Uh, And that's not the case. Um, Periodontal disease, at least in Australia and broadly around the Asia-Pacific region and mostly Europe, uh, is screened for using a tool that was developed in the 1930s. Right. So it's extremely outdated. It's manual, it's time-consuming, and it's just not cost-effective for clinicians. Um, And so they are in the situation where... A clinician whose revenue is tied to turning over patients needs to do a procedure to protect their health, but they don't have time to do it because sure. it takes too long. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing is yeah. we're taking that tool, we're giving it the ADE update that it deserves, 
and giving clinicians the time to do the screening. They interesting, be interesting. So I guess, yeah, it, it's interesting that you've niched down exactly on a particular type of, you know, oral, I guess, uh, disorder or whatever it may be. But um, tell me a little bit about the, the process of actually developing something like that's handheld device, right? Mm. Like the actual, I guess, manufacturing of the prototype, the design of the prototype. How did you go about actually formulating that? Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I think when it comes to creating something that's going to be interfacing with a patient and with a clinician, mm. so it's on both sides, there's a lot of considerations. And I think for us, uh, being in a position where we're creating a handheld device that is meant to work into a workflow, not create a new workflow, yep. it's basically just a continual conversation with clinicians. Yeah. Um, I know that it wasn't our current prototype. It doesn't look anything or function anything like our original ideas. Just because we had these amazing ideas to use ultrasound in the mouth or um, to use different imaging techniques or different types of sensors yep. to do what we're currently doing. But they all required a new technology, yep. something that is vastly different. Um, but through back and forth conversations, we've got partners at the Melbourne Dental School and local periodontists. Mm. Uh, going back and forth with them, you find that, one, the dental industry is extremely conservative. Yeah. In so what way? They don't like to take up new technology. Yeah, okay. They like to do what they've been trained to do because yep. it takes so long to get there and so many people in the community do it that they want to stick with their technology and mm. their practice. They think it's right and they've got every reason to believe that. Yeah, very, very conventional, I guess, pipelines and processes. Extremely. So if you can't offer them an immediate benefit then you're not getting into the space. If there's no pressure to uptake it, there's no reason. Mm. So uh, developing what we have, the AccuProbile device, is it's pretty much just back and forth conversation. So you're talking with a lot of people in the industry to get insight as to a, the development of a tool that they would actually use, is what you're saying? Yeah, 100%. Um, again, benefit of having a dentist on our team is we do have a lot of connections yeah. in that and community. Insight, yeah. Um, so we've been able to survey people, find out what they're doing or what they're not doing. We've been mm. able to talk with periodontists and see how they are conducting their practices. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, lots of yeah. conversation. Yeah. So going back to the original question, the actual design itself, who designed the, the tool mm -hmm. and how many, I guess, iterations and prototypes did you go through before you kind of, you know, stuck your guns into one one particular one in focus for sure i'll show you yeah sure uh so i'll give you a bit of an image here so you can have a look um this is just an excerpt just flip it over the camera over there. Oh. you see that can you see that Eddie? yeah brilliant um oh sugar so um our current prototype is literally just a device attached to a raspberry pi yeah um, so Raspberry Pi is like a small computer, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how we got to this form is there's probably two main characters in our group who have been able to get us there. Mm. Um, Ivy, who's one of the other biomedical engineers and she works at CSL, has quite a bit of experience with hardware. Yeah. Uh, she's done a bit during her engineering time at the University of Melbourne. And then we've got an industrial engineer on our team too. Mm. Uh, so Aaron, who's also one of our MBA students, um, has quite a bit of experience with CAD. Yeah. So through the conversations with uh, periodontists that we were talking about earlier, we knew that we needed a device that had a similar form to the current probe, uh, which we can see here just attached pretty uh, 
horrendously with some elastic bands hey, to it's a, highlighter. It's a, it's a start, right? Exactly. Uh, it had to have a similar form. Yeah. But then every other decision about its shape were uh, decisions made off what it required. So it needs space to yeah. house a, a PCB. Sure. Um, a printed Which, circuit board. Okay, yeah. That's it. yeah. Um, inside its body to do some of the electrical um, and processing mm. requirements. Um, it needs somewhere to put on an optic so that mm. we can actually take images. So this is a 3D print. The one on the right, the orange one, is a 3D printed device. Yeah, so this one's our um, our 3D mock-up yeah. so that we can hand it out to people at sure. pictures. At, um, and what uh, feedback have you had so far in terms of the feel? Shape is good. Shape is good. Shape is good. So in its current shape, obviously being a 3D print, it's not heavy. Mm. Um, it's very similar form to what we would ideally have. Um, so there's not issues there. But that's almost not beneficial for us to hear. Yeah. Um, our other device, this terrible little contraption here, um, that has been used. So it's been used in a mouth. Okay. Anna's been able to test it on herself. Yeah, fair enough. Um, which, don't do that at home. <laughs> don't put electronics in your mouth. But um, we've got a trained dentist, and she's been able to use it in her mouth and take measurements. Yeah, so yeah. even in its horrendous state here, it's we've got function. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is the idea of the prototype, right? Exactly. You want to test functionality. Exactly. So yeah, yeah we've got functional prototype, and then pretty shape prototype and then we've got some mock-ups here for what we sure want. sure so in terms of th thanks for showing that i appreciate mm -hmm. it um in terms of process of manufacturing when you actually you know finalize your design and compact it into the proper handheld you know device you want to develop have you thought about how you may scale up manufacturing yeah um so in, in two ways there's two big considerations here of scalability um I work at Sear Medical, so yep. I've seen scalability problems firsthand, yep. um, and that's why they manufacture internally. Um, obviously, with a device that we project will be regulated around class two, mm -hmm. uh, it's minimally invasive, but it is interfacing with skin and it's inside your mouth and uh, potentially blood. Yep. Um, so everything needs to be able to be sanitized, sterilized. Um, everything needs uh, to be biocompatible yep. uh, in terms of the materials. So. Um, uh, looking at like CNC molding for like stainless steel yep. for device shape. Um, another consideration though is the expense. Uh, so our device immediately going uh, straight into the market with our initial projections around 2026 uh, is going to be more expensive than what we want it to be down the line. Yeah, sure. Uh, because I mean, it always works like that. When you scale, things should get cheaper. 100%. Yeah. Um, and that is just because... Yeah, we're creating a unique mold to begin mm. with. Uh, and then the scalability thing for us then is being able to drop the price because we're making more and more mm. uh, of the pieces and having that dry, uh, price drop from the consumer end. Um, we've also got more money to spend on sure. uh, getting more and more out. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a relatively simple device. Yeah. Uh, so there's not any huge concerns uh, in terms of how can you make this technically feasible at a large scale, or yeah, yeah. Uh, what are the quality? Well, it's a very issues? yeah, it's a very niche product almost, right? Like dentists are going to be using this. Doesn't exactly. need to be for every single human on earth. And yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so it needs to be it needs to be tailored for that space. Uh, but then it's also worth considering that the uh, the AccuProbe it's got two parts. Yeah. So it's got the body and then it's got a disposable head. Sure. So those need to be manufactured separately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they've got different lifespans. Yeah. Interesting. 
Okay, so in you know you you've created a prototype to some degree, uh, and you're working through the processes now of you know thinking about and finalizing that design. How beneficial for a startup is it to actually have developed a prototype when you're talking to potential customers or investors? Has it helped you out a lot? Uh, without question, it is probably the most beneficial thing yeah. that we've experienced. I think because yeah, sorry, it's like it's very different to saying like, oh, you know, like with this company, and you know, these are our you know total viable market, all this other stuff, and then we haven't developed a prototype. Whereas when you actually give someone a device to hold, they're holding it. Oh wow, you created this, you designed this. It's impressive, right? There's a different feel to that environment. Yeah, completely. And um, we'll go on uh, a bit later on like team success and yeah, uh, of course, cultural of sort of stuff. But I think one of our biggest successes with uh, grants that we've won or pitching events uh, is just the feasibility of holding something. Mm. I, uh, like you're saying, and to bounce right off that. I think as people, we like to think that we can, that we've got a good imagination or yeah. we're good at conceptualizing an idea when it's talked to us. Of course. But we're not. Yeah. We're not. It's like the, it's and everybody has a subjective imagination. A hundred So you describe something to me versus, you know, seven other people and we may all think of it in different ways. Yeah, exactly. So it's it, even having this conversation, you've seen our device at a booth. Yeah. Other people are going to see it on the screen. Yeah. And your idea of what it is versus what their idea yeah, yeah. is, they're completely different. Yeah, yeah. Holding it in your hand changes your perspective mm-hmm. and it helps immensely. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, that's that's really good. You've, you've thought about all that and you've kind of gotten through that stage of the business so far. I want to jump back a step and just ask you a question about your education and kind of ask you how that kind of persuaded you or, or invested you into jumping into the, the startup space. Because it's not necessarily conventional pipeline like mm. from where you came from. Have well, you always been interested in startups? No, 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 no. I wasn't even interested in biomedical engineering. If I'm <laughs> going to be completely honest, like, that's all right. I, I came into. I always tell people they're like, "Why are you in the stream that you're in?" I'm like, "I'm pretty sure it's because biomedical engineering was the closest I was going to get to being Iron Man." <laughs> um, but it's no, a good start. Definitely, I don't think I even. If you'd asked me two years ago. Oh, just before COVID, knew what a startup really was, yeah, yeah. especially a medtech one. Yeah. I think that those seeds were planted for me. Uh, there's a subject in our course called, um, what's it called, bio, uh, biotech design or something like that. It's yeah. ran by a guy called Sam John. And then there's a follow-up subject called bioinstrumentation. Uh, and it was during that period and those two subjects where you make a physical device. I remember mm-hmm. making an EMG on a breadboard. Right. And when you have that first experience of you've created something and it does what you want it to do, Mm. that ownership, especially as an engineer, is just encouraging. It's motivating. Um, So then couple that with right at the beginning of COVID, um, I heard about a company called Sim Medical. Yep. Uh, Just outside. Just outside. Just down the road. And... It was during that time that I was looking for internships and looking yeah. for jobs. I ended up shooting a message through to see a medical to HR person a couple of weeks later, a few interviews, and I've now been working there for nearly two years. Yeah, that's good. Um, and there has been no experience that's made me love the startup world more mm. than being in a startup. Yeah. Obviously, I'm biased. See, it's extremely successful. Yeah, but I think also, like, you're, you're very much right. You won't know if you like it until you try it. And jumping into something that kind of is already existing 
but at a very rudimentary phase mm. there's a lot to learn and it's a very fast-paced environment because things need to be moved forward quite fast and promptly completely and i think it's that fast-pacedness that I, you'd have to agree with me you're in the space there's yeah. something about that fast-paced movement that networking that yeah that idea of development it's tantalizing yeah it makes it, you feel alive it, yeah, right? it makes you feel alive yeah and, like where there's nothing better than you know getting on stage and pitching oh Without yeah. question, that's because it's, it's obviously <laughs> like it's a it's an intimidating thing as such. Like many people are scared of public speaking, but mm. it's not so much the the pre phase to getting up on stage, but the feeling after you've completed it and you get the good feedback from the crowd that people actually like your ideas. Right? Mm. That's a good feeling. It's elation. Yeah, um, and I, I do think the startup world just inherently it plays into our it, it tickles that little bit of like risk yeah in you that yeah. like desire for those of us who like it yeah yeah 100 and it's not for everyone and that's fine yeah. um and i think there's a benefit to being younger in this space too yeah, because absolutely. you've got a little bit less responsibilities yeah. and such well it's uh, easier to take risks when you're younger yeah, yeah. oh without question uh but yeah so that's that's me in the startup i got i got the bite mm. i'm getting a little bit more nibbles now and yeah. now i'm going for the whole plate well it's you know it's a good advice for the people watching who are interested in startups who maybe don't have the, the best idea as such maybe they're not so imaginative but they're interested in the, the startup space mm. go work for an intern go do an internship at a startup like you'll learn so much in that process it's so valuable for your education yeah you learn probably more hands-on in a business than you would in a university course oh like <laughs> yeah. i mean no question not even yeah, a no question, question. Right? yeah yeah and the same goes for me like for whether it's the business I started or even during honours, for example, where I did a f my first research project and wrote my first thesis, hmm. that experience was far more educational than my whole three-year undergraduate degree, despite it only being eight months hmm. long. Hmm. So that just shows you the power of actually being there physically, talking to people in that space and that environment. So hmm. that's really good. Now, look, you mentioned you have a team hmm. behind Accudent, right? So I'm curious to, I guess, hear your perspective on how you came about creating the team how many people are in the team and you know i guess how that team dynamic in your business is working yeah so our team and the creation of our team is unique it's unique to the biodesign innovation course because uh, unlike most startups the healthy thing is you have an idea and you bring people together mm. uh, in the biodesign innovation course um, which is our capstone in the biomedical engineering department um, you have a team and then you find an idea. So mm. it's the reverse. It's yeah, not yeah. how it should be. Um, and that team forming stage happens in like the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And it's literally just you're in a room with, uh, it's like 30 biomedical engineers and 20 or 15 or something like that um, business students. Yeah. And it's just two weeks of having a coffee with someone new every single day, yeah, two, yeah. three times. Um, and trying to figure out as quickly as possible do your personalities match? Do your goals match? All right, let's do something. Yeah. Um, and that's how it happened for Accident. Mm. Um, I was lucky because Aaron, who's uh, functioning as our CEO at the moment, um, he's uh, also got a relationship with CM Medical. Yeah. Um, so I had no connection with him earlier, but he saw Resume, I'm working at CIA, um, and he jumped on me immediately as yeah, a yeah. partner. And then from there, the two of us were just looking for others. And so we've then got Ivy and Ashwin, who are biomedical engineers. Uh, they're still studying, graduating next year. Yeah. And then Anna, who's our dentist and also an MBA student. Mm. Um, so yeah, quite a diverse team. Very diverse. Large for a startup. Yeah. 
Um, but I think it's our culture that's really been the bread and butter of everything we've done. Uh, we weren't going to go into a dental space initially, yeah. even if we did have a dentist, um, but we sort of worked our way back there and having that clinician on the side uh, as part of your team. is. So did you define the team before the idea? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you found a problem and then went in to try and solve it. Yeah, hundred percent. And do yeah. I recommend that to anyone? No, don't yeah. don't find a team before the idea that's I mean it's it's fine. Work. Like it's it's probably less conventional, but it can definitely have its uses. It a hundred percent can have its yeah. uses. And I think um I think one benefit of it is that we came together and the goal was to form a team mm. first. So yeah. we formed a team, we had great culture. We're still developing that culture. It takes hits all the time, but yeah, yeah. um the goal at first was just having a team. Yeah. And when you can nurture that, uh, there are repercussions that are brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called The Unfair Advantage. I don't know if you've heard of it. But essentially, it, it looks into this ideology or idea that describes someone's luck versus acumen to achieve certain things or even just effort required for certain things. And that that plays a fundamental role in someone's potential success, right? So it's considered an unfair advantage. I think the, one of the examples is right at the start of the book is the co-founder of Snapchat, right? Mm-hmm. He was like Evan Spiegel or something who came from a very rich and wealthy family, right? Which is, you know, some people would consider it to be you know, lucky, but in some degree, there are a lot of rich people who don't make anything of it, right? Mm-hmm. So that's his unfair advantage. He took advantage. He took advantage of that situation, the wealth, the affluent parents who had the connections to create Snapchat to what it is today. Mm. Very, I guess, widely known social media platform. So my question is, it's a bit of a novelty question, but what do you think your unfair advantage is? Oh, what's my unfair advantage? Um, That's a brilliant question. To uh, to first, just to answer, uh, luck, acumen, effort. I like to think that there's no such thing as luck. Sure. That's such an answer. That no, no, it's, it's, it's fair enough. It's like yeah. such a common answer. Yeah. But like if you did the pie chart, it's 100%, like only 10%, well, of course it's 100%, it's pie chart, but uh, 10% of it's luck and then the rest is split 50-50 yeah. with the um, acumen and the effort, 100%. Sorry to put you on the spot like this, you know. What is our... Uh, what yeah, is, while you're thinking, I mean, it's interesting you say that I guess luck doesn't have a large part and play in that because the only reason I say that is they describe that that exact mentality in the book that mm. people don't think there's luck, right? Mm. Um, and I, I had the same perspective as you entering into the, reading the book and then they described all the examples of people being born in certain areas at certain times, you know, during certain eras where things were changing in their environment. And if mm. they hadn't been born in that environment, well, yeah, sure, they put a lot of effort because effort mm. is necessity for success. But if they hadn't been born in that exact moment on earth it wouldn't have happened the way it did Mm. so an example is something like nintendo right Mm. so i think yeah it was nintendo during the very rudimentary development of that company as such it was at a time where there wasn't a, a a big i guess allowance for for a lot of gaming platforms and things like that in japan it was associated with gambling and there was a lot of restrictions on it However, when the founder kind of came up with the idea, it was when those policies were being alleviated and he saw the opportunity to jump right into it. Mm. So if he hadn't been born at that time where he had the expertise at that exact moment, maybe Nintendo or, or the ideas from Nintendo wouldn't have been a thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting concept. It, it's obviously up for conjecture and debate. But 
<laughs> no, yeah, completely. I think there's a there's a lot of merit to at least there's a lot of humility in the belief of luck too, which I think is yeah, fantastic. Of course, of course. Um, I think for uh, the the reason I say that luck, if anything, is ten percent, is because I feel like. You, you take some of the most successful and most brilliant people in whatever regard. It doesn't mm. have to be wealth or status. Uh, and I feel like you put them into different situations and the perspective that takes them out of it, regardless of what that situation is. Absolutely. So maybe they might not have been as successful if they were born a year later or uh, if they hadn't met that ran- one random person on train on that one yeah, random yeah. day. But, yeah. uh, I think it's the perspective that drives. And that's going to roll into what do I think the unfair advantage is? Perspective. Mm. I think I'm lucky enough to uh, be in a situation or have the people around me uh, or I've had the experiences that uh, I've got a positive perspective. Mm. And I don't think that can be understated enough because uh, everyone on our team throughout the entire year, we've all all struggled. We've all had flaws. We've all had waning motivation. Uh, But it's your perspective that really matters. like for example, the first pitch we ever gave, yeah, um, I did horribly. Yeah, um, I mean it, I happens, was, yeah. it was so bad, and yeah. I've always had this like ego when it comes to pitching because the first half of my life I spent doing speech therapy. Yeah, so I was never a public speaker. Yeah. Really struggled to speak, um, and so when I did that first pitch with a team and it really mattered and I screwed it up and it was abhorrent. There was such a kick in the gut. Yeah. But, then, but it was such a necessity at the same time. A hundred percent necessity. Yeah. Uh, and having the perspective within the team of, hey, no, give it another shot. Mm. Um, or their their perspectives that they could still back me to try it again. Mm. And now look where it's gotten us. Um, at least so far, we've been lucky. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you've, you've made good strides. I think, yeah, yeah perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think perspective is pretty much you know can can amount to anything Mm. if you have the humility to recognize your surroundings you can gain so much experience from you know the world around you and that is all perspective and it all helps in anything that you do whether it's a business or just in a general career or whatever it may be Mm. um absolutely so uh let's switch gears a bit we'll go into a a different part section two kind of talking a little bit more about pitching and development Mm. of the idea um so We'll start off by me just asking you a question. How did you actually, and you've touched on this briefly, but identify a gap in the market for your product? So mm. you said there was some iterations over time where you kind of switched up into a little bit more of a niche area of dent- dentistry. Mm. How did you actually define that problem and that was something that you kind of wanted to create a solution for? Yeah, for sure. Um, again, simple answer is conversations. Mm. Long answer is we didn't notice was an error area at first. Uh, when we started in the dental space, we all went off our immediate sort of experiences and we were actually going to look at better ways um, of uh, isolating moisture in the mouth during uh, fillings. Mm. Uh, so if you've ever had a filling, you yeah. might know that they put a rubber dam in your mouth and I've uh, had a few and it's extremely uncomfortable. So we were going down that sort of space immediately. Yeah. Um, but we found that even though the rubber dam, it's unideal and it has a lot of... Uh, negatives attached to it the alternatives just aren't that much better sure Uh, and so improving upon it it's just again conservative dental industry Mm. um that was about halfway through the year so at this point we're struggling with biodesign we need to have an idea so we went back to have conversations and instead of coming in with what do you think of this idea yeah we changed our approach it was now just talk us through your day 
what's going on what are you doing what are you not doing um and anna uh, our dentist with a million connections with periodontics institute the australian um it's like the australian society of periodontology i think sure um we had a few chance interviews with uh people who then mentioned stuff about uh a screening or we got to see in uh, in person uh screening occurring uh, and then anna herself being someone who does periodontal screening mm. had her own experience so yeah. it was just sort of confounding on itself um that's how we came to the issue and i don't think we realized how much of an issue it was at the beginning mm. i think it was only when we stumbled across it and then thought all right let's put it on the back burner let's try yeah. and then thought about the technology and then realized hey okay why are they using this tool that's 80 years old mm. why is it taking so long and why are more than 50 percent of dentists not doing it in the first place sure uh it was sort of going down that rabbit hole yeah. but it all started by just asking the right questions there you go yeah okay so i guess after you define your problem a struggle that a lot of startups have is actually validating that idea, like really getting to understand if this is something that people need, right? So I guess you've touched on it slightly, but talking to people is obviously a good way of determining and validating that idea. Hmm. Is there anything else that you did during that process or I guess people you spoke to open your eyes to, you know, really understand the potential of this product? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, talking's great. Uh, and it's a good initial validation. But again, sort of on what we were mentioning before, conceptualizing something just based off conversations mm. hard. Uh, so I, I think there are two main validation points. The first was actually using the device, and this one came later, but it was using the, the device in vivo. Yep. So when Anna used it on herself. Yep. When we in saw vivo it, is in, in people yeah, or sorry. in animals or whatever. Um, so using that in that environment and seeing that it worked, that's about as good a validation as we can get with the current device. Yeah. Um, and it did, so that was yeah. fantastic. Uh, I think the second set of validation, though, was actually just through negatives. Mm. Going into conversations and into uh, clinics and into that environment and asking them questions and them telling us what was wrong with it. That's it. So it was, it was validation through the opposite, through the negatives, through what sure. it's not. Um and those were better. They were harder, harder conversations to have. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when you're trying to do something, especially when there's an assessment task tied to it uniquely in biodesign, um, it's not great to hear, hey, this is wrong with it, this is wrong with it, or that doesn't work. Yeah. Like uh, our uh, early idea, the IQ sound, which became the IQ probe. Um, but that was a validation for us, finding what we needed to do so that we weren't getting those negative responses. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's um, pretty interesting. Um, so I guess our origin story of how we met, I just want to touch on because it's actually yeah. quite funny. Yeah. And it's how I meet a lot of people, of course. I like to do pitch competitions, not so much for like actually being necessarily successful and going all the way and winning a competition, but mm. the education that you get through the process of pitching and getting that education for free. Mm. Now, we actually met because we competed against each other in mm. what's called the MedTech Actuator Origin which, for those of you who are watching, uh, is a highly competitive accelerator for startups in the biotech and medtech space. So it's essentially designed to help early-stage startups, you know, get into an accelerator program to help kickstart them, get funding, etc. Hmm. Um, now, both Liam and I were fortunate enough to get into the semifinals, which was good because we went through intense workshops for a week 
pressure tested our ideas and we were both able to get into the semi-finals and compete on stage in front of probably 100 people or plus mm. yeah um i just want to talk to you a little bit about that experience because mm. i feel like there's an inherent benefit of putting yourself in discomfort and going out there and doing these pitch competitions despite knowing you may be competing with people from japan even or like <laughs> yeah. some huge innovators or something like that so tell us a little bit about your experience with that and maybe something that you learned from that experience yeah for sure i think um that my very very first comment is coming at what i'm 23 walking into a room with mm. all of these other medtech startup founders uh, at stone and chalk on king street uh i don't think i've ever been more intimidated <laughs> uh genuinely like there's people from all different ages with at all different stages yeah um, and I'm a 23-year-old founder who's just been going for a year. Yeah. Uh, completely and utterly intimidating. Mm. So I think almost the best part of the experience was that's how I felt on day one. And then on day three, I'm competing in the second round of the pitching against some of the other ideas and we're being mm. successful. And I think that changes your perspective. Yeah. So again, it all comes back to the perspective. But yeah. uh, learning from each of them, getting their feedback on me getting their feedback on the mm. idea in a space where they had no reason to understand it uh that was brilliant yeah uh, because you come like we're in university half the time uh on the research or the um educational tertiary world when you're there with an idea there's this inherent understanding of what the tech could be or your pathways because mm. people have experience yeah but then going into a different environment where there's no there's no re requirement for them to understand it or uh, there's no reason that they should have any background mm. in it and then hearing their feedback it's a completely different ballpark and it's so brilliant yeah because you yeah. get random people from different irks of the planet telling you oh why'd you do this mm. or why are you saying it like that yeah, yeah. or why does your pitch slide look like this it's all judgment yeah but it's, it's all, all constructive judgment all constructive yeah. the environment was fantastic it was extremely positive mm. um it was people bouncing off each other and even like at that pitch night on the thursday yeah. uh there was nothing but positivity which is good yeah it was just people helping each other out or asking questions or uh, congratulating another person uh the experience was fantastic. Yeah. So have you competed in a lot of other competitions? Um, that was our first external. Mm. Um, we've done a lot from of the university. external yeah. completely from the university. Yeah. Um, we've done quite a bit internal, done quite a bit of internal pitching, whether that's for assessments or uh, for Endeavor, the engineering sort of day of showcase. Yeah. Um, so we've done a lot of pitching, but it was all internal. It's always sort of in a safe environment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas this was to a crowd of people, I have no idea. Yeah, this was I. quite different to anything I've experienced personally. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, it was it was fantastic. And uh, we get to go on to the next stage and mm. pitch again in a bigger room with more That's and more it, people. Yeah. That's it. Uh, so it's intimidating. But as you were saying before, yeah. that feeling afterwards, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it, yeah. I mean, I didn't, even, I didn't even say that to the people watching. You did end up getting into the finals. Yeah which is an awesome achievement for your sake and your company's, mm. I guess, trajectory forward, mm. which is really good. Um, so you've pitched your idea a couple of times. What experience did you have learning how to put a pitch together and how important is that, do you think, for a startup? Yeah, um, extremely important. Well, it's almost unfortunate how important it is mm. uh, because your pitch, 
like it's a pitch. And especially in the MedTech actuator setting, there was no Q&A. So yeah. you could really go up there and you could say whatever, yeah. whatever. But um, as it's unfortunately important because it's, it's like the cover of a book, especially if this is the first time anyone's seeing it. We right. all say we don't judge a book by its cover, but 100% oh, yeah. we do. It's the first thing you, you see. Exactly. So I think it's extremely important. My experience, I've got a lot of public speaking experience, but this yep. was the first time with Accudent having any pitching experience. Um, and those are two different parts. I feel like the pitch comes from the content mm. and the presentation. Yep. You can be really good at one and not the other, and it yeah. won't work. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the pitches that I've seen in these competitions, you have someone who is a phenomenal public speaker, but their pitch slides are very, I guess, arduously laid out. They're hard to follow, right? Mm. Too much content, too little content misleading etc mm. or you have it the other way around you have someone who's just like an artist when it comes to putting together <laughs> yeah. a pitch deck yeah. but then unfortunately they're not blessed with the, the ability to stand up on stage with confidence and produce a pitch that's concise and understandable uh, yeah 100 percent. and i think uh, i think the reason we have been reasonably successful so far is because we have that combination of skills in the team mm. so the uh, first couple pitches that i did that went well mm. early in the year I wrote the script yep. and I presented them. Yep. All good and dandy, not great. When I learned that my public speaking skills could only take me this far mm. and the rest needed to be the content and the slides mm. and then I could bring in the other people in my team to have impact on that, That's that it. took us to the next level. That's so uh, just a shout out, Anna again, our dentist, who's also a graphic designer. There you go. So, yeah. uh, it's always good to have someone who's handy. Oh, 100%. So she was designing the slides. She makes pitch decks for yeah. a little side hustle. And yeah. um, then I had everyone else on the team helping me write out the script. That's good. That's perfect. Mm. So it's a good, I guess, process to have set up. You delegate tasks to different people and then culminate it all together to create like this awesome pitch. Yeah. And so, I, yeah, sorry, you go. No, I was just going to say, I, I think I think the initial perspective on pitching is it's a one-person job. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely not. a team job. Yeah, There's so many things that happen behind the scenes like even for ben and i when we did the competition mm. i mean it was just us two on the idea for that that idea that we had on Shaw. Mm. um and we basically were just sitting in a room overnight mm. creating this pitch mm. and there was just so much collaboration mm. we wouldn't have been able to do it alone essentially exactly so it wouldn't have been it, as fun alone yeah of course it yeah. would have been horrible <laughs> it would have been a task right <laughs> like almost yeah a yeah. duty to complete yeah. um so what was I going to ask you next? I was going to say, uh, what do you think some of the pitfalls are uh, for some or some of the pitfalls that you've seen people fall into when pitching? Hmm. Um, I think not to reiterate too much, but I think focus too mu- uh, focusing too much on one of those two elements, whether it's the content or the presentation and not nurturing both. Sure. Uh, because again, one being fantastic and the other failing hmm. will result in a bad pitch. I, I think... Well, not even a bad pitch, just a not as successful pitch. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's a shame, but that first sentence is so important. Mm. I think how you wrote people into your idea, and that was one of the biggest pieces of feedback we've got going into the next stage of the competition, is we could probably fix the way that we're presenting the problem, mm. uh, which is fantastic feedback, and it's completely right. Uh, because that first 30 seconds... We're in a three-minute pitch, or that first 10 seconds in a one-minute pitch. Well, most people in the room are thinking, how does this affect me? Yeah, 100%. We're all inherently a little bit selfish in that, right? And as we should be, care about our health. But um, I I think that's 
Those are probably my two biggest pitfalls. One is not nurturing both sides of the pitch, the content and the presentation. Mm. And then the second is not recognizing how important that first yeah. uh, little snippet and also the last. Because our attention, it's pretty much like a, a cosine wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. You are completely up here to attend for that first little bit. And then at the end, you're like, oh, cool, it's ending and you're back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but that middle bit. Well, the middle bit's just content for, for context. Yeah. Right? And the start is like the captivator, like, okay, I'm listening. Yep. The middle is like, okay, I understand the product. And then the end's like, oh, I'm going to remember that. Now. Yeah. Like that's kind of the mindset you need. Yeah. When definitely. writing it, even. That's a, a yeah. really good way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, so, how did these competitions and I guess your, your, you putting yourself out there and exposing yourself and your idea, Akident, help with networking? And what do you think the importance is of networking for a startup? Okay, I can answer that very simply because we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for it. <laughs> See, that's um, exactly right. <laughs> and I think this is like the fruits of the labor. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Uh, I think that's the reason you do these events. Yeah. It's to meet people who will then offer you opportunities that's or it. offer you exposure or uh, add their little bit of tidbit here or there. Mm. Um, and just even coming out of MedTech Actuator, the network has expanded like crazy. Yeah. Does it mean I'm spending too much time on LinkedIn? A hundred percent. But it, it is a distracting oh, app, isn't it? It's so distracting. It's so distracting. I need to put a time limit or something. Oh, well, my business uh, partner did. He oh. put a time limit on it because he can't control himself. <laughs> it's too bad. <laughs> the the notifications are horrendous. But um, but it's it's also just such a game, yeah. and it's the networking aspect of doing these competitions. Uh, is the reason you do it. Like, That's it. We're not at MedTech Actuator Origin for that little bit of money that we could potentially win at the end because we probably won't. We're, we're wow. there for the networking. That's it, yeah. The experience, uh, right? Experience. The education and the network. Experience, education, network, the potential uh, nurturing into the Accelerator mm. program too next year. That's it. But um, yeah, the, the network is everything. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a lot of people... They probably go into pitch competitions with that mentality that they want to win, they want to win, they want to win, which is mm. obviously a good motivator because mm. everybody wants to win, feels good to win, mm. uh, pays off for all your efforts, right? Mm. But at the same time, the two things, the education that you get out of these competitions is phenomenal mm. because it's real. It's the real world, mm. right? Like the MedTech Actuator isn't a university-run startup community. Mm. It's external and it's the real world mm. with real people who have started real companies, mm. right? The second thing is the network that you build, mm. right? So if you have access to a network, despite if you win or not, yeah. you just need to pull a couple of strings and have a couple of conversations and you're probably one person away from knowing a venture capitalist who goes, oh, why don't you just join this VC like pitch night? Yep. And then you get into a program and you know, next thing you know, a couple months down the track, you're raising capital for your startup. Yep. It's literally like that is the potential of networking. Oh, yeah, completely. And it's also like when it comes down to it, it's how you present yourself to your network yeah. because uh like let's take away uh let's say person x and person y mm. comes out of medtech actuator semi-finals yeah one goes through one doesn't and then goes on to linkedin and the one who doesn't they now make a post so all their network are talking about the experience and mm. the one who did that doesn't say anything yeah it's the one who didn't make it but made the post who's doing better well that's it yeah uh, because it's their network yeah. it's how they're displaying themselves it's the connections they're now making which are, mm. are fundamentally more important yeah, yeah. Uh, people are power that's it that actually is a good point because it leads into a question i wanted to ask you which is the idea that a lot of these like actuators and pitch competitions like we said they're good networking good educational opportunities for people in the startup world mm. however 
a lot of the participants, particularly those who win, mm-hmm. don't actually, or maybe not the medtech actuator, but some of the smaller pitch competitions, let's say, don't actually end up, you know, moving forward with their idea very much, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In fact, it's actually some of the people who get left behind who, you know, it's almost like that uh, the origin story. They're like, oh, we lost this competition. <laughs> we lost that competition. We have to prove everyone wrong yeah. now by, you know, pushing forward with our idea. Mm-hmm. I think personally, one of the reasons that, some of the winners of these like smaller pitch competitions in particular, the people that end up developing their idea is because it's simply like a monetary prize. There's just money on the line. Mm. And I don't feel like money alone is enough of a motivator to keep someone in this game, Mm. like moving forward. Mm. You have to, there has to be more to it. Yeah, completely. Uh, It's also just because uh, as you'd understand in the startup world that money is so unfeasible yeah. like a lot of your value isn't physical cash That's it's it. not liquid and it's not something that you're seeing often uh, like we've won a couple grants and I've seen none of that money so far yeah. like only some of it start to trickle through and um, so there's got to be another motivator or there's got to be something else that's keeping you accountable mm. um, and so yeah that's a really good way of putting it if, yeah. if you don't have that motivator being your network mm. um, or being connections or being something else that's pushing you along that, yeah. that monetary goal, it's uh, not going to do much. That's it. I mean, I, I almost was talking with the boys in Rofi Labs and we were just thinking of, wouldn't it be interesting to run a pitch competition, somewhat of a novelty pitch competition that's like the most simple development, something that's really feasible and impactful. Mm. If you had a competition like that, mm. the person who wins actually gets their product developed in like a one-month sprint, mm. right? Because then that way you're not just giving them money, you're actually like pushing them forward, mm. right? Like by developing their first MVP or something like that. Mm. What do you think of something like that? Do you think it would be useful? Do you think yeah. a lot of people would... I mean, a, a lot of people would compete because it's an opportunity to get something developed. Yeah. So uh, obviously you'd mentioned this to me before and so I've mulled on it a little yeah. bit. And I I think it plays into what I what I'd say is potentially one of our biggest motivators for success currently, mm. which is motivation yeah. uh, and momentum. Mm. So uh, when you've got, when you do an event, if that's the end, then there's no success. That's Regardless it. of what you come yeah. out of, whether that's a little bit of money or not, there's no success. Mm. It's, you need momentum. Uh, we've been lucky because we've been on this like two week fortnightly, so something's happened, okay, something's happened, that's okay, it. moving on. Yeah. Um, that's what I like about the idea. Yeah. I, I like that... It creates I, impetus to push forward. A hundred percent. There's impulse. There's reason to keep moving. That's it. Um, it's milestone to milestone rather than milestone. Okay, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, um, well, it's, it's, like it's kind of like anything in life, right? Like even people, you know, watching this podcast, even a lot of them are uni students, you finish your university degree mm. and you get your papers. Mm. But then you kind of get depressed. You know, you're yeah. like, oh, well, well, what, what do I do now? Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I've worked up all this, you know, like all this effort and, you know, and now I'm here and it's like, oh, I'm here. I'm at the top, but you're not. Like, no. and then you're like, oh, okay, well, like, well, what do I do now? Because now I have to fill in my, my spare time with something, <laughs> some type of responsibility. I think that's almost why I'm doing it. <laughs> it's just I mean, I, I, I did a TED talk, a TEDx talk through Unimel on this topic mm. of voluntary discomfort. Mm. Um, and it relates to that that idea that if you're just working towards the the end, mm. you're going to lose momentum mm. because it's actually not that 
the process of acquiring the achievement mm. that satisfies you. Mm. It's being part of that process and engaging in those troublesome tasks that actually mm. motivate you to keep moving forward, right? Mm. Mm. So in this case, in a pitch competition where, okay, I've won, now I've been given the opportunity to develop my MVP, I have to do something with that product now. Mm. I can't just go and blow my money on, you know, Nobu or whatever you want to <laughs> spend your money on, right? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, I think, uh, look, I think that we should push forward with that idea. I think it'll be a good opportunity for a lot of startup founders out there. Yeah, I think so. And ultimately, even if for some reason the idea doesn't work in reality, yeah. it's just another opportunity to network. Yeah, of course. It's still a good opportunity for people involved and even for our company and traction that we get through it. Hmm. Um, now, I want to jump back to your, your idea, Akidon, because you mentioned at the start a little bit about your product eventually integrating some type of AI, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to make, you know, a, I guess, judgment about the oral cavity. Um, so tell us a little bit about, you know, how you're starting to develop some of these very fundamental codes and what platforms maybe you're using during that process, if, you, if you're if you aware of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm luckily aware because I've done the majority of the initial development. Uh, so software at Accudent has been run by two figureheads, myself yep. and Ashwin. Yep. Um, we've both got experience uh, in quite a few different languages. Uh, myself in JavaScript, MATLAB and Python. Yeah. Um, and then Ashwin, a little bit in Python, but um, mostly uh, MATLAB coding. Did some stuff with KPMG and I've done some with Sia. Yeah. Um, so the AI that we've been developing, it, it's very much I'd say that it's not where we want to end up mm. with because the algorithms that we're using, I'll be very intentionally delicate with my language here, but um, the approaches that we're taking are uh, based off experiences that we've had at university or whatever. Sure. So they're, and we're not software engineers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as biomedical engineers, we get experience with uh, creating algorithms and writing software scripts mm. and achieving goals with them. Um, but it's like, you're given a slice of pie and you're like, what can you do with that pie rather than looking at everything else? Uh, So it's important to us going down the track that we Mm. do recruit. And we've had this conversation a little bit, um, especially for Ophi Labs and what you guys can (laughs) offer. Um, But recruit uh, software engineers and people who really know what they're doing with AI. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like some people, you know, like what we were speaking about, the idea of what startup founders like to do, particularly mm. people who are needing some type of software developers, mm. they become somewhat vulnerable as a startup founder because of the finances that they have. Mm. Software developers in Australia in particular are mm. costly, right? Mm. So they try to go overseas mm. and get a developer. Mm. But the person who's overseas as a developer doesn't necessarily have the same cultural backgrounds, communication, you know, that you're expecting an Australian developer to have. Mm. That's kind of why we created our company, Rofi Labs, Mm. because it fulfills a gap in the communication that you would expect in having a high-quality developer. Mm. Because there's plenty of talent out there, Mm. but having someone as a mediator of those conversations to help project manage Mm. is so fundamentally important. Yeah, Uh, yeah, completely. So I I think um, you've spotted that very well. But um, I I think the the main way that you'd visualize or you'd think about the AI development that's going on at Accident Uh, is it's being powered by biomedical engineers mm. uh, so that we can get it to a stage where someone who knows what they're doing can take yeah, it over. Yeah, but it's it's good that you have that solid foundation Yeah, because you 
with your experiences, understand the nomenclature used in that field. You may not be a software developer, Mm. but having the background of understanding rudimentary code and understanding the conversations of how to iterate in that process Mm. is so important when you are starting a business. Yeah, completely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we're almost at the end, right? Mm -hmm. So it's been a long one today, but uh, one last section is just kind of talking about based on your perspective and experiences with your team and how you've established your company, Accudent, what are some of the skill sets and qualities you think make a good entrepreneur? I think it's important in your question that you said sets and qualities, plural. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's a whole lot of them. Of course. Um, or what I, are some that stand out to you at least? Stand out? Um, like even in your team, you're like, wow, like if we didn't have that skill or that, you know, archetypical feature in the group Hmm. maybe we wouldn't be as successful um okay yeah definitely so the first i'll sort of skip on because we've talked about it a little bit perspective yeah the second i'd say that's crucial is compassion Hmm. um in in the way that people have problems Hmm. people struggle yeah and recognition not only of the problem but how it can be approached yeah. or how it could be solved or how people can help or how maybe it shouldn't be solved, but how you can ease um, is extremely important. And I think that's been pinnacle to the culture that we have at Accudent. Mm. It's a culture of we're people, we have our struggles, but how can we get through them as a team? How can we shift burden between people? If one person is struggling at the minute or they've got a lot on, Mm. they don't need to be doing the the 20% equal split of work. Let's now shift that over to someone else. And I think that all comes down to compassion. Yeah. Uh, Being able to communicate. uh, I think that's almost so inherent that I don't need to say it. Of course, of course. And also to understand using compassion that people communicate in different ways. Right, that's so important, especially when developing a team, communicating with the people on your team. They may not communicate the same way as you, and you yeah. have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they may be dealing with things in different ways, and it may not come across to you as clear because you deal with things in different ways. Yeah. No. Completely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's it's very much, it's just an awareness. Compassion is just an awareness. It, it doesn't mean you have to be there and you have to be soaping over the problem or giving them a pat on the shoulder all the time because some people don't want that. Yeah. It, it's an awareness that there could be a problem and whether you're solving it or not, that you're aware of it mm. and that you're not trying to make it any worse. That's it. That's it. Um, and I'd say, like, these are people... Like my team at Accudent, they're four people that I would happily work on any project with, not mm. just Accudent. Yeah. And that's because they're good people. That's it. It's like they don't when none of us mm. are the best at what we do in the world. Yeah. There's no question of it. Um, but we are brilliant at being people in a team who work together. Which helps so much in a startup because of how hard it is mm. to run a startup. Mm. Like people forget. It's like, okay, I have an idea, develop a product, whatever it may be. It's like there's going to be so many ups and downs in that process. Mm. And if you don't have that team that's there to like support you and be compassionate with what you're experiencing as an individual, it makes it like infinitely hard. <laughs> yeah, no, completely. It's all just like, I am so grateful for the team. I could talk for another 20 hours about yeah. them alone. But yeah, we're all in different stages of our lives, just whether that's age or work or family related. And if we didn't have the compassion to work together as mm. people, uh, we wouldn't be where we are. Today. Yeah, exactly. And 
I guess one last question then, which is throughout your experiences and journey, what are some of the inherent sacrifices that you have had to make so far? Mm. And maybe some of the sacrifices that you can see on the horizon as someone who's now working, you know, on their idea, Akidem? Uh, time and money. Um, it's t- actually, I'm going to add one. Time, money and leisure. Yeah. Um, but I think it, it's a change in leisure. You sacrifice just inherently over this year and into the future. You sacrifice the immediate pleasures of like just having a little bit more time to say play a game mm. or uh, go on this holiday then or do that event or watch a movie. I haven't watched a movie in like half a year. Yeah. Um, but it, it's because you've now grown this passion to do this other thing. Mm. So you're sacrificing a, an immediate leisure for a long-term leisure. That's is it. what I'd say. But uh, yeah, time and money. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's there's a huge sacrifice in time, and then uh, like money startups, but uh, with the hope of one day that it starts to go up. Well, that's all. That's all it is, right? It's like delayed gratification. Mm. You know, it's not going to just happen overnight. That's mm. not how good things happen. Right? Yeah, you can't be risk averse in yeah, this space. Absolutely. Um, but oh, well, you can be a little bit risk averse. But uh, yeah, it's all delayed gratification. Yeah, that's it. All right, and one. One last thing I like to do before we wrap up mm-hmm. is just ask the guests, like, what's one piece of advice based on your experiences that you kind of want to leave here on the Student Founder Podcast? Oof. Um, one piece of advice. I'd say that the way you treat your team is everything. Yeah. Um, again, if we didn't have the idea, it's fine. If we didn't yeah. have uh, the skill sets, it's fine. If we didn't have the time or the money, it's fine. But if we didn't treat each other right, mm. we wouldn't be here. We've got... Uh, it, literally, it comes down to that. I'm a bit I'm harping on too much about team and culture, but uh, my advice is find people you're happy to work yeah. with, regardless of the circumstance. It can be terrible. It can be great. Uh, but it's about having that communication, having those people you care about, um, and having a good team. Very good, Liam. Very wholesome you have a lot of humility to say things like that. So it's really good that you said that. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. All mm-hmm. right. Thanks so much for coming on to this episode of the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having, having me and being a part of this community. No, that's all right, man. Like, like I said, we're trying to build this community. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you like this episode of the Student Founder Podcast, make sure to like and subscribe. All the links will be in the description. I just want to reiterate that this episode wouldn't have been able to happen without our support from our company Rofi Labs which is a software development company that help companies establish their first MVPs and develop their apps as well as fulfill resources using our expert and talented team of software developers if this is something you want to learn more about reach out to us on LinkedIn until next time thank you so much I'm Oliver this is the student founder podcast and I'll see you in the next video take care